is here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Numbers 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. Later in the show, Mark Meadows will be on the program. There's a lot to get into here. But I want to start with one issue that you might be wondering. Well, I wonder where Mark stands on this. Maybe you're thinking, actually, I don't. doesn't matter. So you wake up this morning, all kinds of news, and then there's this about Trump and Netanyahu from an individual by the name of Barak Ravid. Now, Barak Ravid writes for Axios, but he's actually a journalist in Israel. He's sort of the Acosta of Israel. He's a big mouth. He's a leftist. He and I have gone at it a little bit here and there. But he's an activist. He's an activist. And uh, he's got a new book out, the name of which I'll let you find out on your own. And somehow... Somehow he is invited or asks and is it's accepted to interview our president, President Trump. I believe over the summer. I'm just thinking to myself, who would advise President Trump to sit down with this guy? Who despises him and despises Netanyahu? Who would advise him to do such a thing? Obviously somebody who wants to create a problem for President Trump and Prime Minister Netanyahu. And so he's trying to sell books, which is what most journalists do. He said, in the interview from my book, Trump's Peace, the Abraham Accords, and the Reshaping of the Middle East, Trump fumed over a video Netanyahu sent congratulating Biden for his victory. Quote, says Trump, I haven't spoken to him since. F him. Uh, F him. F Netanyahu. Because apparently President Trump has been informed, or was informed, that Benjamin Netanyahu was one of the first people to congratulate Joe Biden on the election. Now, you and I know that's not true. At the time we discussed this, he wasn't among the first to congratulate Joe Biden. In fact, he waited. He waited at least half a day. So I went back and looked. 
November 8, 2020. After hours of silence, Netanyahu congratulates Biden, but doesn't say what for. So Netanyahu's under attack by American and Israeli media. And he's the last, the last Western leader to congratulate Biden. Then we have this from the Jerusalem Post. Yaakov Katz, who is another Biden hater. Why hasn't Benjamin Netanyahu called Joe Biden? That was November 12th. Then we have this from U.S. News and Reuters, I should say. Netanyahu belatedly joins world leaders congratulating Joe Biden. Then we have this from Axios itself. Axios itself. The very same Barack Ravid. Netanyahu joins other leaders in congratulating Biden for beating Trump. And he wonders in the piece. He writes, more than 12 hours after the U.S. television networks called the presidential race for Joe Biden, Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu tweeted his congratulations to the president-elect. So the very guy who interviews Trump this summer, the leftist, who hates Netanyahu, he's an Israeli, but he writes for Axios, which is a left-wing site in the United States, interviews President Trump, I think again this summer, and brings up this issue in a way, in an indirect way. So he was criticizing Netanyahu more than a year ago for waiting 12 hours, more than every other Western leader. And here, he doesn't tell President Trump well, Netanyahu waited 12 hours, and in fact, I was one of the ones who criticized him. Do you get my point, Mr. Producer? And so in this piece from November 8, 2020, Netanyahu joins other leaders in congratulating Biden for beating Trump. More than 12 hours, I told you what he said. Israel's one of the main allies of the U.S., but Netanyahu's congratulatory tweet came long after most leaders around the world had already congratulated Biden. So what's he saying? Joe, we've had a long and warm personal relationship for nearly 40 years, and I know you as a great friend. I look forward to working with both, both of you to further strengthen the special alliance between the U.S. and Israel. Now, what else? Immediately after he tweets out to Joe Biden a congratulations, for which he is said to be late in the United States and the Israeli press, over a half a day late. Why? Why? Why is he waiting? What's going on? What's with Netanyahu? Meaning he's too close to Trump. He immediately tweets out, right after he tweets out to Biden, appreciation to President Trump. Now, the only reason I can think, and I haven't talked to President Trump about this, I'd like to, the only reason I can think that President Trump would have reacted the way he did, is that people around him are lying about Netanyahu. If people around him in November, either with his campaign or on his staff, at a relatively high level, were telling President Trump at the time, look at this Netanyahu. People who don't like Netanyahu. Look how he's, he's coddling to Biden. Look how fast out of the box he came. One of the earliest, one of the first to acknowledge Biden, when in fact he was one of the last. That's the public record. I just read it to you. 
They're trashing Netanyahu because he belatedly joins other world leaders or he's late. What's he waiting for? Why was he silent so long? And I'm just telling you what they're saying. And so the only thing I can think of is that somebody or somebody's told President Trump that somehow Netanyahu was the first or one of the earliest ones out of the box and was probably telling him that they, he was gleeful about a Biden quote-unquote victory. It's all false. It's not true. Israel's PM waited 12 hours to congratulate, I'm reading, the victors and thank Trump for taking U.S.-Israel ties to unprecedented heights as Israeli lawmakers across the political spectrum expressed their well wishes. And he was late, Netanyahu, they say. Waited 12 hours before congratulating. And the man who wrote this book and wanted to create hype is the guy, that this would be the equivalent of letting Bob Woodward into Mar-a-Lago this summer to interview the president. Because that means somebody suggested to President Trump that he should sit down for an interview with this guy. With this Barack Ravid. And here's the dirty little secret. Everybody knows Barack Ravid is the recipient of leaks both in the United States and in Israel, of people who were trying to undermine Netanyahu, even people in our own government. Everybody knows it. Everybody knows it. I've done a little work on this today. And everybody knows or thinks they know which individual or individuals are behind this. So I would take this with a grain of salt Obviously, a lot of you who are fans of both men, as am I, were rather shocked by this. And I've kind of broken it down for you, took a close look, pulled up what, what, what exactly did Netanyahu do? And what exactly did he say? Because I thought when we discussed it a year or more ago, I pointed out that he was taking heat because he was, he was basically sitting on his hands and waiting. That's exactly what occurred with Netanyahu. So what about all those foreign leaders before Netanyahu? who congratulated Joe Biden. They didn't get an F.U. because somebody was spinning propaganda, I believe, to President Trump. And this guy, Barack Ravid, was more than happy to take advantage of it. In other words, a setup. A setup. I think I know the individual or individuals who were involved based on what I was digging out information today in Israel and the United States. Barack Ravid knows what he did. And so let me suggest this. Let me get the name of his book. I will mention it, and then I will encourage you not to purchase it. Trump's Peace, the Abraham Accords, and the Reshaping of the Middle East. Don't let that relatively benign or even positive title mislead you. If you're interested in this subject, do not read it through the eyes and the words of a modern-day Bob Woodward. Because this guy's a creep. An absolute creep. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. 
So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. All right, this issue of inflation. What is inflation? Anybody know what inflation is? It's when money's worth less. Open your microphone, Richie. Richie, who subs from time to time, good man, smart guy. You said inflation is when money is worth less. Why is it worth less? Because you need more dollars to buy the same old stuff. You need more dollars to buy the same thing. Why do you need more dollars to buy the same thing? Because the currency's lost its value. Because they keep printing more dollars. And so a dollar's not worth what it used to be. You're exactly right. We came off the gold standard during the Depression. We came off the silver standard when Richard Nixon was president. So there is no standard. None. So the paper dollar is not based on anything. It's not based on any value. They took about the full credit, the full faith and credit of the United States government. The full faith and credit clause really doesn't have anything to do with generally the United States government and the general United States debt. It's very specific. That was passed as part of the uh, post-Civil War amendments. and It was full faith and credit the United States will pay its debt to those that it owes money. It's nothing to do with printing money. It's nothing to do with printing money. Now, the problem with inflation is it's one of the most difficult things to tame once it's out of the box. Now, it's not like yesterday I decided to do a radio show, and this is the first time you've heard me. I've been on the radio a long time now. A long time. And we've talked about this issue of inflation. Even when the Republicans in Congress and President Trump were spending and spending and spending. But at least there you could make the argument, <coughs> excuse me, that the economy had shut down. We had the pandemic. This was something totally unique in modern times. They were trying to figure out how to handle it. You can agree with it or disagree with it. That's different than what the Democrats are doing today. Donald Trump was not trying to fundamentally alter this nation, to transform it into something that is not capitalist, that is not Republican, small r. The Democrats are. And when you do such a thing, you create poverty. You create poverty whether it's China, whether it's Cambodia, whether it's Venezuela. You create poverty whether it's Cuba. You create poverty when you take an economy and you yank it off its moorings. When you yank it off its pilings. Because you think you know better, or your party thinks you know better, how to rearrange our economy and society. 
There's never enough money to pay for an abstraction. There's never enough money to pay for a theory. And Marxism is an ideology. It's not a reality. Even where it's most aggressively practiced, it's unachievable because it will always be unachievable. It's an idea and a lousy idea. It's not based on human experience. It's not based on human nature. It's not based on eternal truths. It's based on basically two men sitting down, stealing from Hegel, stealing from Rousseau, coming up with a material-based argument, which sounds great. Not to me, but to some people. And it's practiced in different forms, in a very, very aggressive form, as you can see, where there's genocide and so forth. Or is it practiced in the United States, in American form? Which is still developing. Which is still spreading like a cancer in the body politic. We're having a surge in inflation. Not because inflation comes as a matter of routine. Because if you don't follow the laws of economics, the economy falls. If you don't follow the laws of physics, you fall. Things fall. So economics can be made complicated, but in many respects, it's relatively simple. You think about it. It's relatively simple. You don't have to be an economics person. You can be a cop. You can be a bus driver. You can be a janitor, slip and fall lawyer, a doctor, and understand supply and demand. And understand that you cannot deficit spend each year, create this massive debt for which there's no way to pay, keep interest rates artificially low, so the spending side, whether it's the consumer side or the government side, acts as if nothing's going on. You create a false economic world, which eventually catches up with you. So what am I talking about? Ladies and gentlemen, we have the highest inflation rate this month that we've had in 40 years. 40 years. And it was made by Joe Biden and the Democrats. And I want to explain it more when I return. Mark Levin, tough as hell. That's why I like Mark Levin. And I'm not sure a lot of people like him. He's tough as hell. But I like him. I love him. Call in now. 877-381-3811. Let's talk about the fundamentals, what we expect from the federal government. Not the what the federal government expects from us. Which unfortunately seems to be the, the attitude these days. But what do we expect from the federal government? To keep the nation safe, right? Which includes securing the border, making sure our military is second to none, and making sure our streets are safe in cooperation with state and local authorities. We expect the federal government to ensure that we have a strong currency, And that the federal government doesn't take steps that will bankrupt the nation, our children and our grandchildren, and generations yet born. 
we don't expect under our Constitution a lot from the federal government. Now, what are we getting from the federal government? More than a lot. It's in our bedrooms. It's in our face. It's in our place of work. It's in our automobiles. It's in our food. The federal government is ubiquitous. And we all acquiesce to this. It's ubiquitous. And it seems to me, the more ubiquitous it becomes, the bigger the welfare state, the more power and centralized Washington, D.C., the bigger the bureaucracy, the more confiscatory the taxes, the more oppressive the regulations, the more incompetent it becomes. And its answer is always the same thing. We need more resources. We need more power. In order to accomplish these, these great things, like free health care, free school, no debt, Shangri-La, paradise. And the problem we have is the people who don't conform, whether it's people who don't get vaccines, whether it's people who resist in other ways that, that the federal government demands conformity and uniformity. People who talk too much on the internet and go on there and actually express their perverse views, tend to disagree with us in the government, our medical experts in the government, and on and on and on. So as they tighten the fist around free speech, around freedom of association, around the private economy, around private property rights, around mobility, the core and fundamental principles of a free society. They blame you, the people who have less and less to say about what's going on, for their failures. And hence, you need to surrender more. More of what? Of everything. And you need to shut your mouth. Hence, cancel culture and so forth. Now, we have this massive inflation. There's something that's happening with this administration that's happened with other administrations, but particularly pernicious in this administration. What am I talking about? The lies. The attempt to persuade you that the truth isn't the truth. The attempt to persuade you that when you see inflation, it's not really a big deal. It's transitory, we heard that. It's temporary, we heard that. It'll be over in a few months, we heard that. Now it's serious. And the answer, which is why I had a little back and forth with Mr. Call Screener, Richie, without, without prepping him, we just had a little back and forth, he's a smart dude, is what? They want to spend trillions of dollars more, create massive new government entitlements, widely expand the welfare state, ensnare more and more citizens into a psychology of government dependence and not work, the border wide open while all this is taking place, people coming into the country who are not properly vetted, 
So their answer is to further destroy the country, is to further destroy the economy, but to continue to empower themselves. This is what people mean when they say, don't let a crisis go to waste. This is what people mean, we're always going to be in an emergency situation. Because the government depends on it. The government is the Democrat Party right now. The bureaucracy is the Democrat Party. The, the Democrats create the bureaucracy as they're entrenched, as they're entrenched uh, operation. Whether they win or lose elections, it's always there and it's always pushing in the same direction. You don't see a lot of leaks against Biden, but you saw a lot of leaks against Trump, right? You, didn't see, you don't see a lot of resistance in the bureaucracy against Biden, but you saw endlessly against Trump, right? And I could point out Reagan and, and others. And others. Because the bureaucracy feeds off the Democrats and the Democrats feed off the bureaucracy. The centralization of government. The problem for the Democrats has always been how do we persuade people to surrender their liberty? How do we persuade people to vote for us and surrender their liberty? And how do they do it? They get down to base emotions. Base emotions. That guy over there is living better than you. Aren't you supposed to be equal? That guy over there is very, very wealthy. He doesn't need all that money. Our programs would work, but for big oil and big pharma and big this and big that. In other words, but for the private sector. You need to have skin in the game. You need to, you need to go along with our agenda rather than resisting it. You need to accept our medical advice and comply rather than object to it. You need to speak like us need to accept our, our propaganda. You need to embrace it and regurgitate it. That's what you need to do. A couple of weeks ago, I was at Walmart. Went into the toy section for the grandkids. Shelves were empty. They were sparse. Biden says they're not empty. Oh, then they must not be empty. Price of gasoline goes down a nickel or seven cents after going up a dollar fifty. Biden says we're having enormous progress. Enormous progress. Look at that. The price of gasoline just went down. The price of used cars are through the roof. What does Biden say today? Everybody doesn't buy a used car. Everybody doesn't buy a used car. But today he also says, finally, inflation is a problem for some people. Inflation is a problem for all people. We all rely on the currency. We all rely on paper money now. Coins, yes, but paper money now. Because the federal government put us in this position. When FDR was massively expanding, he couldn't keep the gold standard. When Nixon was massively expanding, he couldn't keep the silver standard. Now, there are those like Milton Friedman, who argued, no, 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 I don't believe in the gold standard. And the reason he said it is not illogical. If anybody was an expert on the monetary system, it was him. And he said, we need the ability to have rational, rational movement 
if we're going to have a Fed that can ease up money or tighten money. But what he did oppose was the massive deficit spending. And then the monetary system serving as the drug dealer to the drug addict. That is, the drug addict being the politicians, the bureaucrats, the spenders, and the the drug pusher at that point being the monetary system, the Fed, pushing money in the system, in other words, responding to the government rather than responding to the economy. And then finally, I want to make this point. Why does anybody think politicians are smarter than people in the private sector or bureaucrats are smarter than people in the private sector when it comes to running businesses, when it comes to finances, when it comes to anything? In order to become a successful politician, you need to persuade more people to vote for you than voted against you. What does that have to do with knowing anything about industry, about fossil fuel, about supply and demand, about accounting, about steel, uh, the steel mills and the oil patch? And politicians give us ideology. They don't give us experience. They don't give us knowledge. Look, look at the reprobates we're talking about. The one to fundamentally transform America. You only do that by destroying what exists. Not improving our lives. But even Marx acknowledged there'd be a period of despotism. Is that what we want? A period of despotism? Because the problem of Marxism, that period of despotism never ends. There's just too many human beings who are human beings. And not robots, who don't just go along, not fanatics, who get behind the cult of personality, or the cult of an, of an ideology, as opposed to a philosophy. And that's the problem. Bringing it down to earth here, when you debate one of these people, they talk about how they want the world to be. And they get angry. You know why they get angry and they don't really want to debate, Mr. Producer? Because they view you as standing in the way of nirvana. It's you. Or their parents. Or the billionaire, or the millionaire. Or the guy who drives a Mercedes. They're in the way. They need to suffer. Success needs to be destroyed because their success is built on the back of everybody else. The result is impoverishment. The result is less toys on the shelves. The result is inflation. The result is people can't afford to fill up their tanks. That's the result. Destruction begets destruction. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. I've tried to put this in different ways, different parallels, so let me try this. The Democrat Party essentially consists of nonviolent riders who wear ties and nice dresses, spend a lot on their hair and so forth and so on, and they show up at, at their meetings in Congress. But who does more damage to this country? 
the Democrat Party or the rioters? Who does more damage to this country? Who's more effective at attacking our constitutional construct? Who's more effective at attacking, undermining, destroying our economic system? Who's more effective at destroying our immigration system? The violent rioters? Or the smooth-talking, polished Marxist politicians and their Democrat Party? Think about it. Think about it. And that party also does more damage to us than China, Russia, Iran, North Korea, all of our enemies combined could hope to do. Because they're operating from within and they're using liberty to destroy liberty and they're using the Constitution to destroy the Constitution. That's what makes this so difficult and frustrating. The reason prices are through the roof is because Democrat policies did it. And their answer is to double and triple down on inflation, government control, regulations, put more and more of you out of jobs and out of business. Because that's what they're going to do. And by the way, all you people on pensions and retired and Social Security and Medicare, you think you're, you're going you're to slot? You're not. Because what happens is your money's going nowhere. You worked all your life for a pension, whether it's an IRA, 401k, defined benefit plan, whatever it is. You poured your money into various investments when now your money's not worth crap or it's worth a lot less. You understand inflation means 6.8% inflation in one month. One month compared to a month the prior year means that your money today, whatever you're earning, whether you're a construction worker, whether you're whether you're a member of a, uh, a taxi union, whether you're a retired individual on a pension, your money today is worth less than it was yesterday and the day before. While the prices are going up, prices going up, supplies going down, demand going up, the value of your money going down. Here we are. That's where we are. That's what they've done. And now they're saying, let's spend trillions more. Now, I'm not going to have time to go through this right now, so I won't. But a letter came back that was sent to the CBO by Jason Smith, the ranking member in the Committee on the Budget, and Lindsey Graham, the ranking member Committee on the Budget in the Senate. And they wrote the Congressional Budget Office, and they asked about budgetary effects of making specified policies in the Build Back Better Act permanent. In other words, the truth. They don't plan to have a family leave plan for one year. They don't plan to have child tax credits for one year. But that's the budget gimmick they're into, and they forced the Congressional Budget Office, prior to these requests, they forced the Congressional Budget Office to give an estimate based on that. And it came back with, well, a quarter of a billion dollars over 10 years will add to the debt. So these two members of Congress said, okay, assume the truth, that these programs aren't going anywhere over the next 10 years. Now what will the debt be? Wait till you hear the reply when I come back. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. 
Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811-877-381-3811. Here we have the letter that was sent today to uh, two members of Congress who said to the Congressional Budget Office, okay, look, let's stop monkeying around here. If these programs are not abolished in a year or two and they stay around, and you are supposed to look at a 10-year budget horizon on these things, what's the true cost of this so-called Build Back Better Act, H.R. 5376? And a right, dear Senator and Congressman, this is from the Director of the Congressional Budget Office, Philip Swagel. This letter responds to your request for a projection of the budgetary effects, including the effects on interest costs, of a modified version of H.R. 5376, the Build Back Better Act. You specified modifications that would make various policies permanent rather than temporary, because they know that's what's going to happen. They will be permanent. And so basically what Graham and Smith are saying, the two ranking members of their uh, relative, relevant uh, committees, they're saying let's actually look at what's going to happen here. The Congressional Budget Office and staff of the Joint Committee on Taxation Project looked at a version of the bill modified as you have specified. It would increase the deficit, ready? Not by a quarter or $250 billion, by three trillion dollars over 10 years. Three trillion dollars. Now, let's just stop there for a moment. That is on top of the extra money that these programs will already cost. You get the point? So they're an explosive impact on our debt. So in addition to the more taxation, in addition to the spending... The debt and the interest on the debt are through the roof. That amount, and by the way, does anybody here believe that during that 10-year period, the Democrats will never win and never add more programs and more spending, Mr. Producer? So they'll spend more. They'll create a bigger debt. It's not like the world ends once they pass this bill. What is it that that clown Markey from Massachusetts said about the degrowth movement and climate change? It's just the beginning. It's the first act. It's always the beginning in the first act, because this will be a disaster in every respect. And the answer will be, well, it must be Exxon's fault or you people who aren't vaccinated. It's your fault or that's that fault. We need more government. We need more centralization and we need more immigrants to help us get what we want. Now, that amount includes three components. Effects usually counted in CBO's cost estimates which are labeled conventional effects in the table, the effects of increased resources for tax enforcement, and the effects on interest on the public debt. In other words, the direction they got this time violated their long-standing guidelines. That's how crooked this whole thing is. U.S. attorneys across the country should be investigating these politicians. They say under long-standing guidelines agreed by the legislative and executive branches. Estimates to be used for budget enforcement purposes include the first component, but not the second and third. In comparison, including the same three components, the version of H.R. 5376, 
would increase the deficit by 0.2 trillion or 200 billion, I guess, over a 10-year period. The largest difference between the two estimates stems from an increase in the child tax credit that ends after 2022 in the House passed version. Does anybody believe they're going to stop the the, uh, child tax credit after one year? Of course not. I hope this information is useful. If you have any questions, please contact me, Philip Swagel. $3 trillion, and that is a conservative estimate. These programs expand vertically and horizontally. And then new programs are created without old ones being eliminated. So the world's not going to stop if they pass this and all of a sudden they say, okay, we're not passing any more programs. It never ends. It never ends. And you know, human beings can create the most horrific disasters. But they have a great deal of difficulty figuring out how to undo them. Because sometimes you create disasters that can't be undone. Sometimes there's no turning back. That's where they're pushing us. Now, I don't think anybody has been more outspoken over the decades, including the last three weeks, than I about Mitch McConnell. I want you to know something. I really want you to understand this. But for Mitch McConnell and these 14 Senate Republicans, this would not be happening. Mitch McConnell drew a red line several months ago telling Schumer and the Democrats, we will not raise the debt limit to pay for this monstrosity. Number one, we're not allowed to participate. Number two, the American people don't know what you're doing either. And number three, this is a disaster for this country. It's way too extreme. It's too radical. We're not going to participate in this. So he broke that promise with a continuing resolution to fund the government for a month or two. And so December comes. And McConnell says, We will not shut down the government. We got to pay our bills. You know, over and over, every time he opens his big mouth, I say, This has nothing to do with the full faith and credit of the government. People in Social Security and Medicare, the United States military and the Veterans Administration and so forth, they don't get cut off at all. 17% of the government's actually shut down, and it has nothing to do with the full faith and credit of the United States, which was passed after the Civil War. It has nothing to do with this. And when the Democrats would say, we need to pay our bills. Look, we already spent this money under Trump, and we need to, sp- we need to spend our They lie. This isn't money that was already spent under Trump. This is money they want to spend. This is money they prospectively insist on spending. Just listen. If we're saying we're not going to raise the debt limit to accommodate the Democrats and their spending, what does that have to do with Trump? Nothing. Or we need to pay our bills. So what they do is they just lie to confuse people. Because most people aren't like you. They're not paying attention to this day in and day out. They, they're not, uh, they, they don't know 98% of this. That's why you're here. You're smart. And you want to know. 
And the answer is, when you raise the debt ceiling, you're not raising the debt ceiling to pay for programs last year. You're raising the debt ceiling to pay for programs in the future, the next day, and the next year. The government takes in over $300 billion a month. That is enough to pay the interest. It is enough to pay Social Security and Medicare. It's enough to pay the vets. It's enough to pay the military. So this isn't about any of that. And that money keeps coming in. Just because the government's spending stops, the money keeps coming in, as I keep explaining over and over and over again. It doesn't, the government shut down, you don't need to pay your income taxes. In fact, we're going to give you a rebate. Have you ever heard of that before? No. So when Mitch McConnell, who lies with the best of them, gets up there and says, we're not going to shut down the government, we're going to pay our bills. We're not going to let the full faith and credit of the United States government go down the tank. The tank. He lies with the best of them. He lies with the editorial page of the Wall Street Journal because big business, the corporatists in America, they're on their welfare rolls too. They don't like the hiccups in the stock market. Screw the country. Screw the country. So the corporatists, the bureaucracy, Republicans in Washington, many of them, the Democrats in Washington and the media are all aligned against you. And they're all lying, lying, lying. In 10 minutes, they could explain this whole thing, but they lie. They confound you purposely. So what did Mitch McConnell do? He had a problem. He broke his first promise and supported a continuing resolution. But then he says, I'm not going to allow the government to shut down. Got the full pay credit of the United States here, you know. He decides to grease the skids to pave the way for Schumer, Biden, Pelosi, and the Democrats to raise the debt ceiling. Which they just did by two trillion dollars. Without a single Republican vote. On the issue of raising the debt ceiling. Because what McConnell has done. Is worse. Than Schumer. Believe it or not. It's worse than Schumer. What he's done. He's had a couple of procedural votes. In which. He and 13 other Senate Republicans many of whom are not running for re-election or were just re-elected and don't expect that you'll remember this. I remember everything. They had a few procedural votes that temporarily suspended the filibuster. They did for the Democrats what the Democrats couldn't do for themselves and would never do for us. They temporarily suspended the filibuster rule. So it would take 50 Democrats, which they have, and a vote by Kamala Harris to raise the debt ceiling. They didn't have to overcome the 60-vote threshold when it came to actually voting to effectively suspend the filibuster rule. And those procedural votes, before they voted on that, They had 14 Republicans in their back pocket, led by the Republican leader of the United States Senate. 36 Republicans wanted nothing to do with it. 14 Republican senators voted for it. 
They betrayed the American people. They betrayed the House leadership and the House Republicans. They betrayed every principle you believe in. And now they lie to you in self-righteous indignation. They lie to you. And they have a recorded vote that they voted against raising the debt ceiling when they voted in favor of it and all the procedural aspects so that they could cover their tracks. Is that what you want from your Republicans? Is that what you want from Mitch McConnell? Nobody. But nobody has been on to Mitch McConnell longer and more accurately than me. He is a poison to this party. And the more the National Review and Wall Street Journal and the rest of these buffoons defend him, the more they expose themselves. We're not talking about anything controversial here. This is basic fiscal responsibility, basic transparency. And there's, there's McConnell. A Svengali. You know, that's how quiet Schumer was this week. He got everything he wanted. Everything he wanted. And if the Democrats pull this up, it's because of McConnell and 13 other Senate Republicans, all 14 of them. And he also voted with 18 other Senate Republicans for the first so-called infrastructure bill, about 10% of which had anything to do with infrastructure. I'll be right back. Mark There was a so-called summit for democracy today, and typically when the left does this, it means the opposite, summit against democracy. And Joe Biden was asked to speak there, which of course he did. Hat tip, Grabian, cut one, go. By outside pressure from, out, from autocrats, not, 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 not to uh, assert that any one of our democracies is perfect, investing in our own democratic, our, our own democracy, supporting our, our partners, we, presume, we pursued a broad-based agenda, a true active consensus between Democrats and Republicans in our country. And soon, and soon, I hope, I hope to sign into law a, a bill we call the Build Back Better Plan, provide baselines for assessing accessing the ballot box and just evaporates confidence that the people must need to have in their government. And today I'm proud to launch the presidential initiative for democratic renewal, which will focus efforts across diplomacy, across our diplomacy and foreign assistance programs to bolster democratic resilience and human rights and globally. We're going to launch new programs to help connect anti-corrupt and that. Oh, Go ahead. Activities empowering the LGBTQ help community plus community working or and, and work organizations now, and we'll stand up to we're, we're going to stand up to rapid response cross-cutting initiatives and the partnership for democracy for, for democracy program i'm so looking forward to a productive session and <clears throat> discussions that we'll have a we'll have over the next two days obviously a montage could go on forever but then again patience does wear thin um there he is at the democracy speech today, giving one of his mumbling, uh, rambling, buffoonish comments. I want to get into three clips here. I'm not the clip man, but this is important. If I say somebody says something, it's more effective to hear it. And it's going to be, I think, uh, underscore the point just how the media in America today is so destructive. 
of this country. How they do not represent the people of this country. Chuck Todd, of course, is the standard bearer for lying, for spinning, and for buffoonery. Hence, he works at MSNBC, and he's so good at it, uh, he's on Sunday's Meet the Press. Um, I wonder if my Sunday show gets as many viewers almost as Meet the Press. I think it's pretty close. I think it's pretty close. Then Brian Williams on the way out, his uh, pearls of wisdom. And then this guy, John Avalon, who's kind of become a political eunuch. May I say that, Mr. Producer? It's a political eunuch, uh, much like his mentor and hero, Joe Scarborough, another political eunuch. Now, what's a political eunuch? A political eunuch is somebody who's like transitioning and doesn't finish. Wouldn't you say, Rich? They're going, you know, it's just, it's, they're eunuch. And they're, and they did it to themselves, you know. Not any particular surgery. It's like people who maybe have uh, home colonoscopy kits, if you understand what I'm trying to get at. Uh, but in any event, I want you to hear from Chuck Todd because we're, we're a backsliding democracy because of Trump. Because of Trump. And then Brian Williams about darkness has spread among us. Then of course, of course eunuch John Avalon on CNN, Jussie Smollett, learned from Trump. Here's the problem for CNN and MSNBC. They're dying. They're dying. Even people who thought that these people knew what they were talking about, the whole Russia collusion thing has turned them off, they're dying. They now know that Avalon, Todd, Williams is out the door. I guess he got a swift kick to the ass. But that said... They know that they're frauds, and the audience watching, most of them, know that they're smarter than the people who are barking at them. I'll be right back. They call him Mr. Right, Mr. Conservative, and Mr. Constitution. But you can call him Mark at 877-381-3811. As the old saying goes, just don't call me late for dinner. Um, Kaylee McEnany and her husband. You know, uh, Mark Levin and his wife really do admire this couple. We really admire this couple. We admire Kaylee McEnany. She's been through a lot. And I think we can agree she was a fantastic spokesman for President Trump. She knew what to do up at that podium. And, and, uh, so did uh, the others. I'm, j- I'm just focusing on her now. And uh, just fantastic. Very, very smart. Very competent. Always a smile on her face. Like me, Mr. Bruce. I always have a smile on my face. You don't see me? Uh, anyway, so um, don't forget her book, For Such a Time as This. For Such a Time as This. Uh, it really is fantastic. I just finished it last night. I read most of it when I interviewed her. I've cracked open Bozell's book. It's terrific, too. But right now I'm talking about Kaylee McEnany. And I didn't see this, but I'm told, if I'm inaccurate, I'm sorry. Maybe there'll be a little leg on my face, but that she said that her husband 
is a Mark Levin Republican. You know, she's very, very sweet about stuff like that. She doesn't have a one of these egos, people who are in public life or on TV or that sort of thing. And I keep mine in check, too, just so you know. My family would keep mine in check if I didn't, but I absolutely do. Uh, people who meet me, they'll say things like, gee, I didn't know you were like this. And I, and I, and I would say things to them like, well, wait a minute, what, like what? Well, you're a lot quieter. And so I said, well, look, my blood pressure is not up. I don't have to be passionate about an issue. You just met me. It's like saying to a dancer, I just met you and you're not dancing. This is who I am. If I get involved in these issues, I'm all in. I'm all in. I'm mission-oriented. I'm an activist. I'm all in. And my passion is my passion. But if I'm meeting somebody and saying hello, what is the point of raising my voice and being passionate? I don't even know the person. And so I always try to be polite. Always try to be polite. And uh, But Kaylee McEnany, you can see that. And she's exactly as she appears. Before she was on you know, Trump's staff, and she'd appear on CNN from time to time. I don't watch CNN, so I didn't even know that. I mean, for her to come to my book signing, at that time it was Palm Beach Gardens, Florida, with her husband, wait in line. Isn't that sweet? So I want to encourage you to grab her book for such a time as this, for such a time as this. There's no reason the 1619 Project should be so up on the list. While you're there, I hope you'll get your copies of American Marxism. It's still 50% off. Maybe I shouldn't keep talking about that because maybe Amazon will slap it down, but Amazon is subsidizing the sale of my book by cutting it at 50%. At a time when people were looking for gifts. I was out looking for some gifts for the grandkids, got a couple, but American Marxism, it's so easy to do. It's there in Walmart. I saw it. It's there in Target. I saw it. It's in Barnes & Noble. It's in all these places. Uh, although the warehouse stores are cutting back, and you can understand that. They've held it for five months. But it's always at Amazon, and it's 50% off, and all you got to do is go there, and it'll show up tomorrow or the next day, and you've got one of your gifts solved. And it's not just a gift like, that tasted great. And then three days later, you know, you got to eat again. This is a book that sits on the shelf with the title. This is a book you can ask about. This is a book that gets into people's heads, and that's a good thing. It's an important thing. So I hope you'll grab your copy. All right. Chuck Todd on MSNBC yesterday. Cut four, go. We've said it before, and we're going to say it again. The biggest story in American politics is and will continue to be this homegrown effort to undermine U.S. democracy, largely fueled by the former president and his loyalists who have hijacked and radicalized a part of the Republican now Party. Now listen to this idiot. Who's a Democrat, his wife is a Democrat operative, on MSNBC with Joy Reid, Al Sharpton, the morning schmo, Mrs. Schmo. Listen to this. We've said it before and I'll say it again. Who cares what you have to say with the stupid haircut? This guy, you know, he combs his hair down the front on his forehead, Mr. Producer. Then he takes a ruler with, uh, you know, scissors that, that are kind of rounded on the end so he doesn't cut his forehead like he's four years old. He give kids with paste and paper and construction. Anyway, so he cuts a straight line. It's not never straight. It's sort of this Eddie Munster look. And then he gets up there. He looks like a puke, and he's up there. 
We've said it before and we'll say it again. Not we, you, you jerk. We is plural. You are singular, a singular moron. Start from the top. Go ahead. We've said it before and we're going to say it again. The biggest story in American politics is and will continue to be this homegrown effort to undermine U.S. democracy, largely fueled by the former president and his loyalists who have hijacked and radicalized. It's largely a part fueled of the- by pukes like you and Russia collusion all about 2016. You remember that, Chuck? Remember that, Chuck? By the way, is that your name, Chuck, or is your name Charles? What is it? I'm sure the parents are very proud of the advances their son have made. Well beyond most low IQ stupid people. No, no, no. 2016 and Russia collusion, that's not important. No, not in the least. It's largely uh, the loyalists have hijacked and radicalized a part of the Republican Party. Now that's fascinating to me. You have the Democrat Party that's trying to destroy with one stroke the entire electoral system in this country. You have the Democrat Party that's led by anti-Semites and bigots and Marxists, AOC, and pukes just like her. But it's the Republican Party that's been radicalized, America, because, you know, we're trying to defend things like our country. And I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Go ahead. Party. There's a reason the U.S. is now considered a backsliding democracy. The January 6th insurrection. By whom? And the January 6th insurrection, ladies and gentlemen. Go ahead. The big lie, gerrymandering, efforts to restrict voting access, partisan attempts to control who votes and how those votes are counted. All just right, let's stop. It. So he go. He, it's like he's Stacey Abrams in drag. Does that work? Yeah, it works for me. It's like Stacey Abrams and drag this guy. He pukes out all the toy. It's like this this uh, this fraud uh, Amici. What is her name? Alcindor, Amici Alcindor. She's so lousy, so radical, so unbelievable that now she works for NBC. She was working for the public broadcasting system, but now they they promoted her. So they're all trying to outdo each other. They all want to be Joy Reid, I guess. Go ahead. That is the elephant in the room as President Biden kicks ah, off. Shut up, you idiot. The elephant in the, in the room is any room you enter, you slob. Now, next, Brian Williams at MSLSD last night on the way out the door. Remember, Brian? You know, when I... When I was in Iraq and they were shooting at me, Brian, you've never been in Iraq and nobody was shooting at you. We happen to know at that particular night, you were constipated and you were on the toilet. You were not in Iraq being shot at. Cut five, go. It is my choice now to jump without a net into the great unknown, as I do. For oh, don't the be first- too dramatic. You go ahead. In my 62 years. My biggest worry is for my country. The truth is, I'm not a liberal or a conservative. I know you're not. You're a radical kook nutjob. Go ahead. Institutionalist. I believe in this place. He's an institutionalist, Mr. Producer. I think what he means is I should be institutionalized in his case. Go ahead. Of country, I yield to no one. But the darkness on the edge of town has spread to the main roads and highways and neighborhoods. It's now at the local bar and the bowling alley. Wow. The sp- When's the last time you were at a bowling alley? 
thinks he's Robert Frost. Go ahead. Board in the grocery store, and it must be acknowledged and answered for. Grown men and women who swore an oath to our Constitution. Ah, shut up, you idiot. Now, John Avalon, the eunuch, on the Constipated News work today, uh, Network. John, why are you still there? How come you haven't resigned? How come you haven't resigned? It's such a disreputable place. Your great hero, Fredo, was kicked out. There's going to be a lawsuit between Fredo and uh, Jeff Motherzucker. That'll be great. Go ahead. He apparently thought that by playing the victim. That means Smollett. He's talking, he is Smollett. Start at the top. He apparently thought that by playing the victim, regardless of evidence, he could benefit from all the attention. It's a strategy he might as well have learned from Donald Trump. Oh, what well, Donald Trump, see? Smollett. It's because of Donald Trump, ladies and gentlemen. These are mentally unhinged and unbalanced individuals. And that's the only way they can work for these networks. Because clearly the executives are the same. Smollett and Donald Trump. You you get it? Go ahead. Caught in a lie, double down. Lie more. Play the victim. Ignore the facts. Make excuses. Demonize the other side. And Oh, stop talking about your wife that way. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. So let me get this straight. You're a light guy. You like you like the light. What about the thighs? You eat it. You eat the chicken thigh, the chicken leg, and the chicken breast. I don't think I do like it all. I like the leg, and I like the breast. Quite frankly, do you put anything on your chicken? Hot sauce. Hot sauce. You and Hillary, right? Well. Now that you brought that up, do you think she likes breasts or thighs or legs, Hillary? What would you guess? Thighs? I would guess breasts. All right, but I could be wrong. Uh, I don't really know Hillary. I'd like to get to the bottom of that issue, but I don't think I can. When we come back, all the spending going on, ladies and gentlemen, guess what? Remember that COVID relief funding? Remember that COVID relief funding? I've got something to tell you about that when we return. And also, the great Mark Meadows, who apparently, I think, is going to be uh, public enemy number one with his photograph hanging in post offices by the time the Stalinist Politburo is done. I'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post... Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. We're dusting off our liberal line. And that is uh, 877 877-381-3811. That's our liberal line where we always leave that open for uh, irregular Americans. Uh, I mean, they have a right to speak, too. 
And so we want to make sure they do. I want you to think about something for a second. During the break. Oh, yes, I'll reverse course if necessary. During the break. Just thinking about this. Spent a lot of time talking about economics and inflation and so forth and so on. Let's keep that one line open, Mr. Call Screener. If there's anyone who believes that the triple B plan by the former sympathizer with the triple K will actually reduce inflation, please call the program. Anybody out there who actually believes that passing this Marxist budget will bring downward pressure on inflation, excuse me, and improve economic markets. Would you please call the program? And if you convince us, I have a prize for you, a prize that I haven't given out in probably a decade, Mr. Producer. Free government cheese. Now, there was a day when there wasn't so much redistribution of wealth that when people were really hungry, the government would take excess food production and provide it to people. So no currency involved, free government cheese, things of that sort. Not today, of course. We don't do things so rationally. So if you're a believer that Joe Biden is correct, that Maxine Waters is correct, that Eva Pelosi is correct, and they're all correct, that the New York Times is correct, Just pass this massive spending bill on top of the massive spending bill they just passed, on top of the massive spending bill before that, and then pass another $6 trillion massive budget bill that this will bring downward pressure, tighten up the currency, and reduce inflation. I would love to hear from you. Now, we know there's many, many economists who believe this. Because, as Pasaki tells us, all the economists believe this. All the economists, all the economists advising Joe Robinette Biden say the same thing to him, apparently. Pass this. Get this done. We need more borrowing, more debt, more taxation on productivity. More regulation on productivity. That way we can grow ourselves out of this situation. Wow. Seems sensible, doesn't it? Seems logical. That would be like paying off AOC's $17,000 student loan when she earns $175,000 a year. Did you know that? That's what she's demanding. And as AOC goes, of course, so goes... uh, So goes the country, right down the toilet. But I think this is important. Any takers yet, Mr. Callscreener? We have millions and millions of listeners. You're telling me that there's not a single person kind of listening in. I'm listening to the Mark Levin show. I'm a radical leftist. Don't tell my parents I'm listening in. But I dare not call him. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I, I believe in free speech. I believe in debate. I've been hearing this now over and over again. 
pass this Build Back Better. And I always ask myself, Build Back Better, what country is he talking about? Russia? China? Anyway, Build Back Better, and it will reduce inflation. So I want to hear this because, listen, I'm open to being uh, edified because I can't think of a single economist who believes that. Not one. And yet every one of them who talks to Joe Biden, and apparently there's a, there's a the phalanx of these economists somewhere, telling him that if we spend a few trillion more on top of the few trillion, on top of the last few trillion, somehow that's going to lower inflation. I've got I've to understand this. Look, look. I'm not talking about calculus here. I'm not talking. No, no. I'm talking about basic stuff. Who do we have, Mr. Producer? The great WABC, home of the cats. Jeremy, New York, go right ahead, sir. Yes, so when you invest in infrastructure, both physical and human, productivity goes higher. And when productivity goes higher, ultimately inflation will come lower. Sir, you've persuaded me. Now, I have a few questions. I thought so. That was quick and easy. You have, I have a few questions, Jeremy. Is that your real name, by the way? It is. All right. Here's my question to you. Where does this money come from? I mean, same as anything, it's, we, we do have paper currency these days. I know some people are uncomfortable with that, but it comes into circulation, goes into banks. There's an entire circle of... No, but, but, of, but, of but they, they got to raise the debt ceiling, a few trillion here. If you, where does this money come from? How do we get this well, money? The debt ceiling is different. That's money we've already spent. No, it's, it's, it. not, it's not money we've already spent. They're raising the debt ceiling to pay for the Build Back Better plan. I thought I already explained this. But they had to raise the debt ceiling regardless, even without the Build Back Better plan. No, they don't, actually. But maybe they do. But let's pretend they do. But that's not my question. My question is, Build Back Better adds trillions, right? That's the point, isn't it? Going to create new entitlements, expand the welfare state. You're for that, right? So trillions sounds like a lot, but as a percentage of the economy and the contribution that we end up getting out of it, that benefit... Well, what is There's the percentage of the economy that they're spending? What do we have? I, I don't know, exactly $20 trillion, $19, $20, 21000000000000 trillion economy? Pretty close. So if they're spending $2 trillion over 10 years, and that's $200 billion a oh, year... Oh, no, 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 no. They're not spending $2 trillion over 10 years. Why do we have inflation? They've already spent $1.9 trillion and $1.25 trillion, and now they want to spend... Two, pay attention, I'm educating you. It's like a cat with a yarn a ball. You're the yarn a ball, I'm the cat. Pay attention. They've already spent $1.9 trillion. They just spent $1.25 trillion. They want to spend another $2 trillion, which will add $3 trillion to the debt. And on top of that, they haven't passed a budget yet that they're proposing. That's $6 trillion. Can you add that up, Jeremy? How much is that? I can, but it's all... There's How all much is it? Assumptions. Build on assumptions. You made a lot of assumptions. You said the I didn't make a single was... assumption. These are facts. See, this is my problem here. I'm going to deal in facts, and you're going to deal in mind-numbing diversions. Let me help you out. We don't have that money. It hasn't been produced yet. It is printed, effectively. It's digital, but it's printed. That money enters into the system. It hasn't been produced. It hasn't been earned it hasn't gone through the usual dollar that goes through production. It's just flopped on top of everything else. So it's found money. It's makeup money. It's monopoly money. Because there's no basis for this money other than people want new programs, 
and people want to spend money. Now, inflation is not an assumption. It's a real thing. The law of economics is as real as the laws of physics. So when you keep printing money, have you ever heard of the Weimar Republic? I have, but I think that was a very different time. Have you ever heard of Venezuela? It's not a matter of a different time. I'm talking about an economic system. Where does mass... Listen, if massive deficit spending and debts worked and created more wealth, right? Is that what you're saying? No, no. What I'm saying is, I'm not saying generically that it always helps. I'm saying some, some investments are worth making and some are not. Everybody knows some investments are worth making. We got that. I'm not talking about some investments. I'm talking about trillions and trillions of dollars in one year. The economy cannot digest it. Were you around in the 1970s? All in one year. Were you around in the 1970s? I was not. I was born in 84. Born in 94, Well, guess what? You're going to experience the same thing. Now, let me tell you what's going to happen, Jeremy. You ready? Interest rates are going to start to go up big time. Now, what happens, first of all, for the government is that becomes a big line item in the federal budget. One of the reasons the, uh, F, uh, the uh, Fed keeps it down is because that's a problem, because of the massive debt that the federal government has. That's number one. Number two, interest rates are kept artificially low. They can't keep it that way. Because you can't keep flooding the market with credit as the inflation gets hotter and hotter and hotter. Or we're going to have three-digit inflation. So interest rates are going to go up. What does that do to the housing market? What does that do to people who need credit? It pushes them out of, the, out, of the, uh, out of the market. Number three, what does that do to building uh, infrastructure? You talked about infrastructure. We just need to build infrastructure. Well, the cost of cement, the cost of steel, the cost of aluminum starts to go through the roof. And one feeds on the other, Jeremy. And that's what happens. Meanwhile, the little guy's caught in the grind. There's less supply and greater demand. Greater demand is funded by more cash floating around, more money floating around that doesn't have any basis to be floating around other than people voted for it, more cash to be printed. Food goes up. Gasoline goes up. At the same time, you guys are choking Fossil fuels. At the same time, you guys are doing everything that's counterintuitive in a market like this. All right, I got to go. I apologize. We'll be right back. Mark Levin. Well, it's a pleasure to have Mark Meadows on the program. Former chief of staff to President Trump. Mark, how are you, my friend? I'm doing fine, Mark, and uh, thank you for having me on, and uh, my best to you and your, your lovely wife. And likewise there. Merry Christmas to you, my friend. Uh, well, here's, as a lawyer, yeah. I'm not going to put you on the spot with what you're confronting. <laughs> let, 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 but let me just thank say you. this, and I don't want you to comment on it. As a lawyer, I'll give you that advice. I could not be more disgusted with what's taking place, taking honorable people who have served this country, and trying to turn them into criminal defendants. I've never seen anything like this. You know I worked for eight years in the Reagan administration. I've represented Attorney General Meese and Iran-Contra. With other lawyers, lawyer represented President Reagan, Ted Olson. Other lawyers represented other... I've never seen anything like this. This is really a a horrifically rogue operation. As, as I say, I don't want you to comment on it. Your lawyer is George Terwilliger, is that correct? That's correct, Mark. He is. He's, he's a fantastic lawyer. He was Deputy Attorney General. 
and uh, and he'll give you good advice. So you hang in there. The nation is with you. The Levinites are with well, you in, I, in force. I, I, I feel I feel that. And if you um, if I could take a point of personal privilege mm-hmm. and just thank all the listeners for their well wishes and their prayers, I can tell you uh, our country is worth standing up for. Mark, and uh, you have done that over and over and over again. You bring the truth to the American people uh, every single week, and uh, it's an honor to call you my friend, but it's it's also an honor to stand for the forgotten men and women. Amen, and uh, likewise, likewise. Well, you've written a fantastic book, The Chief's Chief, and you know what's amazing? As soon as it comes out, the propagandists in the Democrat Party media are looking to create controversy between you and President Trump. Did you notice that? Yeah, I noticed that all too well. The good thing is, is you know, if, if anybody buys the book and reads it, it's, it's a tribute to the unbelievable accomplishments that actually you and I got to witness up close and personal mm-hmm. on a number of uh, times, whether I was chief of staff or as a member of Congress. Uh, but, yeah, they, they, they try to, to, you know, and even now they're trying to make sure it doesn't sell and, it uh, you know, it has a bad, bad headline here or there. But I can tell you, uh, you know, the patriots out there are encouraging us, and, uh, and certainly I think it tells a story about how President Trump honestly uh, came in and, and did things that, have never been done before, and, and Mark, you and I know that. But one of the ones that I, I outlined in the book is you know moving the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, and and a lot of other candidates and presidents had promised that, but there was only one who did it. You really were a witness to history when you look at the accomplishments of this president, whether you were in the House or whether you were serving by his side. It is absolutely remarkable how much was achieved in four years and how much was achieved that's patriotic, pro-American, and conservative. And then you look at the attacks from the rhinos, from the, from the families or individuals and prior administrations and so forth that accomplished so little. And I come out of the Reagan administration. I look at Trump and I said, what is it that these people want? Look at the things that this man achieved, whether it's the border, whether it's the economy, whether it's the military. Look at the foreign policy achievements. You can go on and on and on. And and then you compare them to what Biden did. There really isn't any question, is there, Mark Meadows? There is no question whatsoever. I mean, the the contrast couldn't be more stark. Uh, And and the one other thing I want to tell your listeners that they may not understand about President Trump is that he wanted good advice. He wanted different differing opinions and would act on it. And, and your listeners need to know that uh, you were reluctant and hesitant to call at times. But when you did, not only did that message get through to President Trump, but it resonated and he knew that it had authority because you were connected to, to millions and millions of people across the country. And, uh, you know, he loves to refer to him as his base. But he also listened to to people like you that would say, you know, I, I think you need to go this direction or that. And uh, and I thank you for that advice. Well, you're very kind. And you know, I did not take advantage of that. Right. It was only maybe no, you did not. In yeah. fact, if anything, I wanted you to call more. Yeah. And uh, you were always very a, a very reluctant advisor. But when you called. You know, there used to be an old commercial, when E.F. Hutton talks, people listen. Well, well, I could say the same about you, my friend. You're awfully kind. Very, very kind. But I'm going <laughs> to... So tell me this. 
what is it that caused you to write this book? You're watching everything that's going on. And, and, and before you even get to that, there's a lot of people who are around President Trump who are writing these very negative books. I'm not going to put you in the spot. We know who they are. Or they're in the yeah. cabinet, and they're writing these very, very negative books. You got along with the president. You helped move his agenda. You were a sounding board for the president. You cared about the president. You both today have this remarkable, fantastic relationship. So how come you're able to do it, and all these, uh, all these other people who are trying to make a buck weren't able to do it? Well, I think uh, they're trying to, to tell a story about the palace intrigue that some of, of which never happened. And, and I, I, I looked at, at just the amazing accomplishments, and I wanted to bring the reader inside and understand uh, the, the person that I got to know, not only as the 45th president of the United States and my boss, but my friend. And, and I wanted to share that in a way that was hopefully uh, insightful, but also encouraging. But this is, you know, so many people that want to write these books to score points, it's all about making them look better. And uh, we, you know, his record speaks for itself. It'll go down in history. I just wanted to tell the truth. Can I hold you over another segment, uh, Mark Meadows, please? Sure, I'd be glad to. Thank you, Mark. Don't hang up. This is too good. Want to hear more from Mark Meadows, his service, outstanding service to the President of the United States. We'll be right back. Mark Levin, the great one. The great one, Mark Levin. Dial in now, 877-381-3811. Mark Meadows, your fantastic new book, The Chief's Chief. When you came into that position, did you talk to the former chiefs so you could get a feel for for how to operate there? You said, now, you know what, I'm going to have a blank slate here. Well, uh, you know, I had a blank slate, but I did call. I did call a number of the other chief of staffs that uh, had uh, served in, in prior administrations, obviously some of those that you're familiar with, just to ask them what, uh, what I needed to be concerned about. Uh, but the one thing that I didn't get from any of them that I, I didn't realize uh, perhaps is, as much as I should is that the speed of which every decision comes at the president of the United States. I mean, each and every morning, you know, you know, uh, you get your president daily briefing. Uh, I highlight that in the book. Uh, you know, all the people that are trying to do harm to America uh, from uh, foreign entities, you're reading about it. But every critical decision on any given day, you've got dozens and dozens of critical decisions. And that doesn't even take into account the swamp. As you know, the swamp is always trying to encroach in on every good decision and and fighting that back. They think it's a hot tub in Washington, D.C., not a swamp. And you had to deal with things that some past administrations have had to deal with, but not with an intensity and uh, uh, and the number of, uh, of of occasions, and that is endless investigations, endless attacks by the media, overwhelming. You walk in there every day. Um, you got to wonder where it's all coming from. And this is a uniquely remarkable man, Donald Trump. He was able to stand up to it. But as his chief of staff, you had to digest this crap every day too, and you had to stand up to it too. <laughs> How did you do it? 
<laughs> well, I had a, a full diet of it, lots lots of prayer and intestinal fortitude, but I can tell you this. Uh, the one thing that bothered me the most, and, and I highlight this in the book, Mark, and you know it up close and personal as well. You know, they would say, well, the president's not, you know, he doesn't work hard. He's lazy. He does this. Let me just tell you, he about worked me under the table. He'd call me at 1 a.m., 2 a.m., 3.18 a.m. was the, the earliest or latest, however you want to qualify that, that he ever called me. And then he's checking back with me at 7.30 in the morning saying, well, how did you make progress on the list that I gave you this morning? I mean, it was incredible, but you're exactly right. The media wanted to come after and destroy, destroy Donald Trump each and every day. They made it their, their mission, their life's goal. And quite frankly, they would fabricate stories when the truth, uh, you know, didn't serve them well. And again, it's amazing when you compare Trump to Biden. Now, I wasn't there a lot. You know, I didn't I didn't I don't want to interfere. And the thing is, once he invited me, president, to the Oval Office, he wanted to have soda with me or sandwich or what I don't remember. And there he is in the ante room, not too far off the Oval Office. And he's rewriting a speech. So in other words, he didn't oh, exactly. just do what was put in front of his face. This man was a take-charge guy, was he not? Uh, thank you. Thank you so much. You're exactly right. Not only was he a take-charge kind of guy, you would come in, and what we would do is look at the speeches, and if he only changed two or three lines, we felt like that we had actually you know, got in his mind and, and prepared what he wanted to say, but there was never a speech that didn't have his personal touch on it and he you know he he wanted to make sure he could communicate with the american uh voter but more importantly the american patriot and that was what it was all about and i think uh when i look at the administration there uh, let me put it more specifically when i look at the white house staff this really was a terrific white house staff when you were there uh, it seemed like the, um, people had settled into their positions. Um, the right people were working in the right jobs. Uh, the president seemed very, very comfortable to me, more comfortable than he ever had before. And um, do I have that about right? I mean, I'm on the outside well, you, looking in. No, you do. And and obviously, you know, the, the interesting thing, and in, in your listeners right now need to understand this, not only did he start to get the right staff, and, you know, he told me, and I, I put this in, in the book at the end, uh, you know, I, he says, Mark, I wish we knew then what we know now. And obviously it was picking the right people, making the tough decisions, but it's also call, getting getting on the phone and calling somebody like you. And, and that's what I loved about him is is that if he had a question about it, he wouldn't say, well, you know, uh, go find four staffers who give me the same opinion. He'd pick up the phone and he'd call you and he'd say, hey, Mark. Now, he wouldn't call you the great one like so many of us do, but he would say, <laughs> he would say, Mark, he says, what do you think about this? And then he would kind of throw out a question to see if you would agree with it or disagree. And sometimes intentionally wanting to throw out something that you would disagree with to see how passionately uh, that you fought back. And, and so thank you for being uh, – uh, someone that reminded us that we couldn't, we would never be a socialist or communist nation, and yet your book highlights uh, the threats that we're facing each and every day, so thank you for writing that as well. Man, I have to have you on more often. Uh, just kidding. <laughs> 
Now, now let me ask you this, because I think one of the one of the sad facts is this: because of the media, the static, the the the, the hostility, which was absolutely unbelievable. I mean, and and absolutely unacceptable and uncalled for. The disservice of the to the American people. I feel that so many Americans didn't really get to see the real personality of Donald Trump, that he, in fact, is a very kind man. He's driven to do what's right. He really doesn't want to take no for an answer unless he absolutely must, but he knew he had to push the bureaucracy, whether it was Fauci and the F there, whatever it is. And I think a lot of these people who'd been in government all this time, whether it's at the Defense Department or the NSA, they weren't used to this. They weren't used to a guy who says, you know, life is short. we got to get some things done around here. They just, it, it wasn't the same mindset. And I just wish that many of us know this. Many people on the outside know this. But I wish everybody could have known this. Well, I do too, Mark. And, and you've hit, you know, you're right over the target because he believed that he, he, he was a president like a business guy. Let's get something done. Let's not just talk about it, but let's get it done and make sure that we get it done. Let's get it done in what I would call Trump time. I mentioned that in the book. Yep. You know, if he gives you a task, he's expected to get it done. But here's the other interesting thing, and I talk about you talk about that personal side of him, caring, compassionate, the most gracious host that you will ever ever meet and and uh there's one vignette in the book where literally he lets debbie and i my wife and i go get in the car in the beast this is when i was still a member of congress uh to get a ride back to the white house he wasn't in there he was backstage no cameras no reporters thanking every first responder every military veteran that was there every law enforcement officer expressing appreciation for their service that's the kind of president we had uh, for the 45th president of the United States. It's so true. And a lot of people are extremely loyal to him. Uh, and this is why. And then you have these reporters who didn't really want to take the time to get to know him, to learn from him, learn about him. They just came in with the sharp teeth and the fangs and, uh, and all the spitballs, and they couldn't do enough from day one. They participated in that Russia collusion nonsense. They participated in all these things. And I won't get into it, and they're doing it still. And uh, I assume you keep up uh, pretty darn regular communications with President Trump, yeah? I, I do. I, I spoke to him this morning. Uh, we we stay in, in very close contact. Obviously, I don't work for him anymore, but he still loves America, and he still has that passion. Uh, in, in fact, I think you were at, at the CPAC uh, speech where he came out and hugged the flag. Oh, yeah. He must have mentioned your name three or 412 four times. 412 times. Right that you know, by the way, what was funny is I turned to my wife and said, I can't even go to the restroom because I'm afraid he's going to call out my name and I'm not here. It was hilarious. All right. Well, we appreciate what you stand for. We love this country. He loves this country. And, and I hope the, the people that buy this book will uh, learn to, to love the things about him that, that I find just so endearing. And they are going to learn about all those things. If they get a copy of the book, it's The Chief's Chief. You can get it at Amazon.com, any major bookstore. Another great Christmas gift, truly. The Chief's Chief by Mark Meadows, who was a great chief of staff, a great congressman, a great Tea Party activist, and still is a great guy. Mark Meadows, Merry Christmas to you, your lovely wife, your whole family, and God bless my friend. Well, best to you. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. and We, we love you, and uh, give my best to your family. 
I will. Same here. Take care of yourself. Thoroughly decent human being. Just a wonderful guy. Please check out his book, The Chief's Chief. I think you're going to enjoy it. I'll be right back. Lovin. Let's begin this clip. And I'm going to play it because this is Joe Biden's Let Him Eat Cake moment. Remember Let Him Eat Cake? Let Him Eat Cake. Or his drop dead moment where he tells you to drop dead. Cut 10, go. The downside is prices have gone up because of supply chain concerns. We've worked us hard on the supply chain concerns. I think you're going to see, you've already begun to see, and you're going to see over the next couple months, oil prices, gas prices of gas pump come down. You know, the biggest, one, 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 a third of the increase in inflation is used automobiles. Um, so, I mean, it is a real problem. But the point is, that has to do with supply chain as well. But it also I has to do it's with... Not, it's not used automobiles. Inflation is not driven by used automobiles. That would be bad enough. Inflation is driven by the government. It's not driven by you. It's not driven by your employer or your employees. You have nothing to do with it. You're reacting to market conditions. The government has taken the market and created a perversity out of it. And it has a lot of muscle. It's got a lot of power. It's got a lot of your resources to do it with. That's the problem. Economic dislocation from economic illiterates. Now, ladies and gentlemen, every Friday, in honor of you, we play America. Here we go for you.
my friends, the week is officially over. The weekend begins now. I brought you a lot of great people with great books, great authors. I hope you'll take advantage of them, and I hope you'll check out American Marxism. The week is officially over. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. Good night, Spritey. Good night, Griffey. Good night, Pepsi. Good night, Zelda. Good night, Smokey. Good night, Gigi. Good night, Indy. Good night, Barney. That's a long list of beautiful dogs unfortunately. Ladies and gentlemen, have a fantastic weekend. God willing, we'll all be back on Monday. Good night, Dad. Good night, Mom. Good night, Leo. And good night, Joe.